Well, hello. Today, I decided to talk about a subject that's been close to my heart and one that I've thought about for quite a few years, but is the first time that I'm really doing a podcast on it. And that is on the subject of marriage. Uh, the title of the podcast I want to call The Misconception of Marriage. And I hope that sounds interesting enough that you'll give it a listen. And hopefully it can uh, be something that will give you a new realization or a new inspiration of how to better your marriage and perhaps your relationships in general. So I've been thinking a lot about love recently and I've preached several messages on love and thinking about that subject it just seemed that this would be a good time to include the subject of the marriage relationship because when you think of love you think of love from God to us and you think of love between between people and the strongest love would be between family and especially in marriage between a husband and, and a wife. So uh, I want to kind of start digging in here. The last message that I preached about love, I talked toward the end of the message on Ephesians 6 and wearing the armor of God, and that was a little bit of a springboard I wanted to use in talking about marriage. Since, since the subject of marriage, for me, has become, uh, the word protection has become such an, a significant word when I think about marriage. And so I want to start here, uh, start out in talking by addressing a little bit um, the armor of God. And then also... Uh, in Ephesians 5, of course, that's the chapter before it talks of the armor. And there's where we get the classic section that's probably the most used section today when talking about marriage. It's probably the most significant or popular, you could say, section of verses in Ephesians 5. So I do want to, uh, to be talking about those verses a lot today as well. Uh, with a podcast, I'm not really limited by time, so I want to just take the time that I need to properly explain and uh, be able to make sure that we're clear on what we mean on different things. So, marriage is a unique relationship because within the intimacy of marriage is a picture of Christ's love in our relationship with Him. Marriage is a picture of Christ and His church. Am I correct in saying that? It is of significance to me that Paul talked about marriage, about the marriage relationship in Ephesians 5, and also talks about children and parents then I believe that's in the next chapter in Ephesians 6, and also the relationship between servants and masters. Those are all very important relationships that are mentioned, and I believe that he really listed them in level of importance. And then he transitions after he talks about the relationships, then he transitions into wearing the armor of God. So again, I believe the single most important thing in any relationship, especially a marriage relationship, is your personal relationship with God. How you view God directly impacts your marriage. How you view the person of Christ directly impacts your marriage. And also this, how you view leadership and submission directly impacts your marriage. And that's what we'll be talking a lot about today. What you believe to be true directly impacts your marriage. So I want to give a statement here that may be surprising for some 
to hear, but I've come to this conclusion through time spent in my, you know, in my own marriage. I've been married for it's a little over 16 years. And also from hearing uh, about a lot of other people's marriages in the time that I've been a pastor. But this, I believe our traditional cultural view of biblical leadership and submission has been a dangerous stronghold in many of our homes. So when I refer to the word stronghold, the, the biblical context from my understanding of stronghold is would be dealing with false teaching. And that's really the way I want to use it here. It's been a dangerous stronghold, and it has a stronghold in many of our homes, the traditional cultural view of biblical leadership. And when I refer to a cultural view, I would be referring to the Mennonite culture, but I also believe that it has a stronghold in a negative way in perhaps other religious cultures as well. So this is uh, something that is my opinion and has been my experience and you may have had a different experience and therefore have a different opinion but uh, and I'm certainly not referring to every marriage relationship within our culture but I'm referring to far too many we as husbands tend to view leadership in a way that puts us in charge of the relationship that we retain the biblical authority to have the final say and our wives are required to according to scripture, to submit to what we think is best. All too often, our wives, though they tend to have questions and wonder if this is really how it should be, do not have the confidence in biblical interpretation to think otherwise. Some marriage relationships turn into abuse situations because this pattern of leadership and submission is left unchecked. The husband is convinced that he is the leader and must have the final say in decisions, and the wife feels that her only choice is to submit, and the relationship often spirals downward to the point where the wife feels she must rise up and protect herself for her really her only other choice is to become depressed and, uh, and anxious. Love is often replaced with self-protection. What was once a marriage is now a war zone. When this happens, there is no winner, and all parties suffer great loss. Many wives choose the latter and become like children with no voice and resign themselves to a life of a servant. So I want to be clear that I'm not referring to every marriage relationship in our culture, but there are far too many that end up like this. I was talking with a friend of mine recently, and he mentioned that you know, if we were honest, there would be many of us that are unsatisfied within our marriage relationships. And so even though we may not be on the path of, of destruction in our marriage, like there, you know, like there is sometimes, perhaps we're at, you know, at best unsatisfied with our marriage and perhaps one or the other, either you or your wife is, or maybe both of you are really struggling in your marriage. Uh, but that could could that be? This is a question you could ask yourself. Could that be coming from a wrong view of headship and submission? So something to stimulate our thinking a little bit, I would like to look at a, uh, a recent interview, just a little excerpt from it that was done. I heard this on the, on the news just this past week, uh, and it was referring to... Um, South Carolina. South Carolina, the state that I live in, it says it is number six in the nation for women killed by men. Uh, and at any rate, South Carolina is in the top 10 worst states for domestic abuse. And from what I understand has been for some time. And because of the recent statistic, this interview took place. So this was uh, Becky Callahan, and she is the executive director of Safe Harbor, an organization that runs programs and an emergency, she, emergency shelter for domestic violence victims. I want to read that again. 
She is an executive director of Safe Harbor, an organization that runs programs and an emergency shelter for domestic violence victims. So the, the excerpt that I want to read, this was her thoughts on what is causing part of the problem. Now, certainly not the entire problem of domestic abuse, but this was something of significance that she shared. We are smack dab in the middle of the Bible Belt, and a lot of the messaging that families get is, number one, what happens in the family stays in the family. Number two is that the man is the king of his household, and that this is how it is, and if you make your bed, you need to lie in it, Callahan said. That's not what the majority of folks are hearing in South Carolina, but we're still hearing victims who are saying, I cannot leave because I made this commitment. My pastor said this, or my lay leader said this. So even though within the Bible Belt there's a religious culture, a, you could say a Bible-based culture, uh, this is something that was very interesting to me and something that I deduced from this interview. Living in a culture with a wrong view of Scripture can in some cases be worse than living in a secular society. And in this case, there is what would amount to domestic abuse going on in some homes that, because of their religious upbringing and their religious views, actually the abuse becomes worse and, and the victim feels trapped in their situation because they feel there's a right and wrong on how they respond. But this is why I feel it's very important that we as a, as a Mennonite culture, and especially, you know, I'm thinking of, of the church that, that I pastor, Bethel, why I feel it's very important that we have the proper view of biblical teaching on leadership and submission. And that's why it's been on my heart to share this, uh, because of the struggles that I've seen in marriages uh, that perhaps you know, hasn't been as bad as, as what statistics can, can show, but uh, there is situations that could amount to, uh, you know, abuse in, in different areas. But I think that the, the, the tragedy is, because I believe it really stems from uh, maybe two things, uh, trying to follow um, God's law without really you know, while living selfishly, perhaps, without really living with a renewed mind, but also having a, a wrong perspective on different scriptures. Uh, and some of those perspectives are, are really deep-seated. Some of the wrong perspectives are really deep-seated and have been in place for generations. So when we read scripture, there is a cultural view that we can gather, since scripture was written within a particular culture, but I believe there is a teaching, you know, in Scripture that transcends culture. For instance, uh, and this is just a simple connection that I made. For instance, Paul's instruction to masters and slaves is not something we connect with very well today in our culture. But yet there is a greater context that is in harmony with the rest of Scripture, and therefore we can have a proper interpretation of the text. So I want to uh, look at the verses on marriage in Ephesians 5, but before we get there, I want to look at some of the context surrounding those verses. So in Ephesians chapter 5, these are some verses that are preceding the, the verses about marriage which would be like Ephesians 5, verses 21 through the end of the chapter. But before we get there in Ephesians 5, I want to read some verses. They're not all consecutive, but they are all preceding and, and, and help to shape the context of the verses on marriage toward the end of the chapter. So Ephesians 5, this would be verse 1 and 2. Be therefore followers of God as dear children. And walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us, and offering any sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. 
Then verse 8, For you were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Verse 15, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. So I would like to uh, just kind of zero in on this verse, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God, and let's remember that. And so I also want to... Uh, after that, it transitions to talking about marriage, and then toward the end of the chapter and into chapter 6, then we also uh, see him address parents and children. We also see him address masters and slaves, and we won't take time to read through all that. However, after that is then Ephesians 6, verse 10 through 12, and again, this was right after we read verses that were preceding the verses on relationships and, and especially marriage relationships. And then after the verses on relationship, we see these verses in Ephesians 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And then we have the armor, where it talks of the armor of God. When we wear the armor of God, that is for our protection, along with the sword of the Spirit, that we have a tool to fight with, which is the Word of God. If we're not properly wearing the armor of God within our marriage, then it ends up that we're the ones responsible to protect ourselves. And that's often what happens, self-protection. When self-protection happens within a marriage, then immediately the relationship suffers and people begin drawing apart because when you protect yourself, it's usually from a you know, from hurts, and usually the person you're closest to is doing the hurting. That's just usually how things work in relationships. So I want to go back to the verses about marriage in Ephesians 5, and I just want to say this, and this is still about the armor of God. When Paul talks about headship and submission in Ephesians 5, keep in mind it's understood that both the husband and wife are wearing the armor of God. Have you ever thought about that before? How this, the verses on marriage are so closely related and in context with wearing the armor of God, which is protection. Again, we're going to be hearing the word protection a lot in the context of marriage in this podcast. So Ephesians 5, 21-27 says, and again, I'm repeating a verse I just read as we that I, I, we ended with verse 21, and I'll start there again as I read down through um, at least verse 27. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. That's the verse I wanted us to remember. And then this, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, 
that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So I want to talk a little bit about the word submission. The word submission has traditionally not been a fun word to discuss or talk about, especially not to the wives, because of how it makes them feel often and what they think it really means. Um, basically, that she doesn't have a voice. Basically, that she would uh, have to come under the the leadership of her husband and when he makes a decision she is expected to submit and follow that decision now that can be at, probably at varying levels within diff different families but i've seen far too many times where there is a an absolute authoritative air in the home uh coming from the husband and the wife is required and expected to submit to what he thinks is best. So we want to look at the word submission and also the word uh, where it talks about being the husband being the head of the home. But submission in, uh, I believe this was a Thayer's definition, but it was in my, uh, in the description of the word submission. It says this word was a Greek military term meaning to arrange in a military fashion under the command of a leader. Okay, that was a Greek military term. Uh, unfortunately, it seems like that might be the, the way that we often look at submission. It says in non-military use, it was a voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden, which would, I believe, how it's would be how it's used more in biblical context for marriage. So submission and head must be viewed in context. So the context in Ephesians is that, to me, is that submission and head in marriage is always as or as unto Christ or Lord. So let's read these verses again and look at that context. In Ephesians 5, again, verse 21, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Interesting. It's always given in the context of as or as unto Christ or Christ the Lord. A husband, these are some takeaways that I want to just share with you. A husband as head must give himself to his wife as her protector. Now, this is something I want to talk more about. So, let me read this again. A husband as head must give himself to his wife as her protector, as Christ also loved the church and gave himself as the shepherd. Wives are to submit as the church is subject to Christ. So, think of this. We as a church are not forced to follow Christ as our shepherd. We want and choose to follow Christ because of his provision and protection. Think about that. We as a church are not forced to follow Christ as our shepherd. We want and choose to follow Christ because of his provision and protection. John 10, verses 9 to 11. I want to read that. I am the door. This is the words of of Christ. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. And the thief cometh not before to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. 
you see protection all throughout these verses. You see Christ the shepherd offering protection. You see protection in the sheepfold. And you see also the freedom within that protection that they can go in and out and find pasture. Very inspiring and very interesting for me to see that Christ is our protector. So the husband role is one of provision and protection. See, they go in and out and find pasture. That is also provision. Is The husband role is one of provision and protection through his trust in the chief shepherd. So we as men, we don't hold ourselves above our wives as a shepherd would his sheep. Uh, but the similarity is that as the shepherd offers protection to the sheep, so we are to offer protection in our role. We're in the role of protector, and our wife is in the role as, as in submission would be actually to be under our protection, to be protected. And again, this is not a role that we force upon her. It's one that she willingly comes under because of our protection and provision, because of what we can offer. The wife's role is one of choosing to trust and be protected by her husband as the church, just as the church chooses to follow and be protected by Christ. She does this through her faith in God, not in place of. So she still has her own relationship with God, but within a marriage, she is operating within a particular role. Because remember, marriage is a picture of Christ and his church. And when we understand marriage, we understand our relationship with Christ more clearly, and vice versa, I believe. The church can trust Christ because of his faithfulness. Think of this. Would the church not be foolhardy to trust Christ if he were not trustworthy? If we couldn't really trust our Savior, why would we choose to trust in him? That wouldn't seem like a very wise choice. The church can trust Christ why? Because of his faithfulness. The church would be, again, I use this word foolhardy, to trust Christ if he were not trustworthy. But he is trustworthy. So we choose to place our trust in him. Think of this in a marriage situation. Often the wife is blamed for not being submissive or coming under her husband. But think of this. The wife can be submissive to her husband if he provides love and protection. Again, the wife is foolhardy to trust her husband if he is not providing a safe, loving environment for her. You see where that really puts a lot of responsibility on the role as the husband to be providing protection and providing truth for her and a safe environment for her. And if he's not, then why would the wife it be making a wise choice like why would she make a choice to 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 come under that to me it would seem a lot more wise to not in fact you cannot be protected by someone that's not providing protection it's it's really impossible so for us husbands if your wife is not submitting to your protection here is the question you must ask yourself why is she not able to submit? In my experience, the wife is usually willing to submit, but is not able to because protection is not provided. You as a husband may not have provided a safe place and proper perspective for her heart. Her lack of submission is often the result of a wrong perspective or a lack of commitment in the husband's relationship with his head, with his God, with Christ. To accuse her of not being submissive is to prevent any good outcome and will drive your marriage further apart. You should instead fall on your knees before God and ask Him to search your heart and change your perspective and ask God to help you honor her. Through honoring her, that provides a safe place for her to be able to, to grow. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3 says, But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. That's something we must remember. 
and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. For the husband to properly provide for and protect his wife, he must be living to please his head, which is Christ in God. So also for the wife to properly submit to her husband's provision and protection, she must place her faith and trust in Christ as well. Both the husband and wife must submit themselves to the protection and provision of Christ to properly benefit each other in their separate roles as protector and protected. Remember, your relationship with God is the most important thing in your marriage. So think of these verses and especially for us husbands, in providing protection for our wives, in our you know even in our personal relationship with God. Wherefore, laying aside all malice, and all guile, and hypocrisies, and envies, and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. That's verses one and two in First Peter two. 1 Peter 2 verse 5 says, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2, again, same chapter, but verses 9 and 10 says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Thinking of these verses and how true they are in the life of a child of God, there is no reason for us to be leading our families like a dictator to where what we say goes. We are to provide protection and care and love, and we draw them into following our example. Why? Because that is such a beautiful picture of how Christ the shepherd leads us. And it provides an environment for their faith, the faith of your wife, the faith of your children, to grow. Remember, you're the protector. And when, when we think of leadership and headship, I think it's, it's in that context as providing protection. Even as, uh, you know, as pastoring a church, I think the concept is the same. In 1 Peter 2, again, and this is verse 21 and 23, For even hereunto were, we, were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again, when he suffered he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. How often have we of husbands, not live this out very well. It says that he left us an example that we should follow his steps. This was his example. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. He didn't try to manipulate. He didn't try to control. It says when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. Has that been our track record? Or how often have we threatened and how often have we said things in retaliation, even to our wives? But I love this thought. He committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. When you commit yourself to God, who is the righteous judge, that takes away any need for blame within your marriage relationship. It doesn't matter. There's no need to point fingers or to say it was somebody's fault. Not when you commit yourself to him that judgeth righteously. He's always faithful. You can trust him. Christ gave up his own desires and preferences for the sake of us. 
He went against his own will for the sake of the relationship. In a marriage, we must give up our own will for the sake of the marriage. Remember, marriage is an example of the relationship we have with Christ. So I want to read some verses here. And I believe they're, they're examples of equality, or at least the, the, the next verse I want to read is an example of equality in marriage, but with different roles. So 1 Peter 3, verse 7, it says, Likewise ye husbands, now it's talking to husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. With who? With your wife, according to knowledge. And here, I believe, is the knowledge. Giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. Do you see your role as protector being talked about here and her role as being protected? Submission to me means submitting to or coming under protection that you can provide in your role as a husband. Dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. But then it says, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Very important to look at when it says that we are heirs together of the grace of life. That's equality there. That doesn't mean that what I say goes. That means that we have equal value in the kingdom of God. And if we don't look at it that way, then our prayers and our supplication with God, it says, could be hindered, right? We need to look at them as they are a weaker vessel in that they are in the role of needing protection. We are the stronger vessel in that we are called in our role to provide protection. And the protection it's often talking about is protection from false teaching, I believe. And also, uh, of course, we're bigger and stronger than our wives. And so, uh, physical protection may at some times be needed, but I think primarily in Scripture it would be referring to uh, protection, providing like a, a safe environment. Think of the sheepfold, think of the pasture, that you can provide a safe place for them from the wiles of the devil through perspective. Often, um, in my own experience, I'm called upon to provide perspective to my wife. And it's not something I shove at her. She actually asks me, for my perspective because of a situation she may be involved in. And so I'm able to share um, what my heart is to be a biblical perspective in, you know, in her relationships that he had, that she has. And also, um, you know, I provide perspective to my children and so on proper perspective. And that is in a way that I can provide like a sheepfold for them, a, a sheepfold of perspective. And, and then they can go out when they're out of my home and they're out. They, there's actually uh, this perspective goes with them. They take it into other relationships that they have and they can go in and out. And, and also there's pasture there. There's provision. They can grow. They actually can gain in their relationship with God because of what I share with them. So in that way, uh, they're the weaker vessel. And because of the role that they are operating in, and, and I'm in the role of protector However, we are heirs together of the grace of life. You know, too often I look at uh, you know, the, the tr traditional view, you could say, or the view that we too often have of, of marriage is that the husband is running the race. And, you know, the, we talk about, uh, Scripture talks about running a lot. Uh, different places, Paul talked about it. Um, like, know you not that they that run in, in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. Uh, there's, there's, uh, it's like you know, the Christian life is often like a race, but too often in a marriage, we have the, the thought of, give the picture of the husband is out running. He's doing the running, and the wife is expected to come behind him and bring the water bottle and the towel and the extra shoes and another shirt and, and just whatever he needs. She's supposed to, you know, bring everything along, but he's doing the running and he's going to win. He's running to win. But I don't believe that's the proper picture. I believe your wife should be right alongside you, running together. You are neck and neck. When you win, she wins. When she wins, you win. There's not a, a leader. There's a partnership within your marriage, even though there's different roles that you're operating in. I think it's important that we realize that. So here are some verses that can give us 
direction perhaps for our perspective but I want to read this before we start we as husbands must view our wife's position as equal to our own since we are heirs together of the grace of life but as one she is one that we are to protect and of course we are the protector so first Peter 3 10 to 11 says for he that will love life and see good days think of this in your marriage relationship husbands for he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. Now I've heard some husbands refer to the fact that they would argue with their wife. And sometimes they try to justify that by saying there's really, you know, perhaps nothing wrong with arguing and and maybe they both seem to enjoy a good argument. But that is a, a dangerous thing to toy around with, I believe, because in an argument, it's okay to discuss things, and it's okay to get passionate about things as you discuss them. But when there is an argument that breaks out, that means someone is not willing to give in. You're not preferring one ahead of the other. You're not preferring her over yourself, and she may not be preferring you over herself. Or I should say to the wife, you may not be preferring your husband over yourself. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Doesn't that sound like a great marriage? Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. First Peter 3.15 But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, you husbands, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Your passion must be to provide protection to your family, to your wife first and foremost, but over top of that passion is, or the way that you, that you operate correctly within that role of protector is to seek God with all, all of your heart, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. So Ephesians 5.33, Nevertheless, let every one of you, in particular, so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So when it says, let every one of you in particular, so love his wife, even as himself. Okay, what I would like to, the perspective I would like to give on that is, I want to ask this question. Does your wife does her preferences and her opinions and her thoughts and her wisdom hold equal value to your own? Do you love your wife as yourself? In fact, you know, it may be good to think about this, uh, to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But when your wife prefers something, maybe not even along the lines of anything spiritual, but when she prefers something, do you strive to honor her, to honor that, to honor her preference, or do you dismiss it as unnecessary and ridiculous? If you are one that commonly does that, then I can uh, say with, I would believe with certainty that uh, one of you is uh, struggling in your marriage. <laughs> So, husband, you must treat your wife as you would like to be treated. This is the golden rule. It's a simple, well-known fact that you must treat others as you would like to be treated. And you, husband, must treat your wife as you would like to be treated. Wife, you should see that you respect your husband. So, husband, you should not see that your wife respects you you should treat her as you want to be treated. Wife, you should see that you respect your husband. You may have heard the term before, keep your eyes on your own fries. I think that could apply here. So the husband has a role and the wife has a role, but it never works for the husband to force his wife to follow in her role the way he thinks she should, and it never works for the wife to try to manipulate her husband to be in the role she and operate within his role the way she thinks he should. 
Trying to cross over and manipulate and control your spouse in how they are handling their role will only cause resentment, the wrong kind of fear, and will drive you into self-protection. Remember, self-protection in marriage is a bad thing. We must allow the armor of God to protect us so that we can live with open hearts. When you try to protect yourself, your heart closes and you withdraw and bad things happen. Husband, if you provide protection, your wife will most likely want you to protect her. So think of this, husband. You can provide protection even if she does not decide to use it. Is that something you can agree with? You can provide protection even if she does not decide to use it. It's this thought uh, that because someone doesn't use something that you provide does not mean that you cannot still provide it. But think of it, can, can it be flipped around? And I don't think it can be. Think of this. She, however, cannot be protected if protection is not provided. So you can provide protection even though she may not decide to live under it. And that's not a good way to operate within a marriage, but, but yet, can it be done? I believe it can be. You can provide protection even if she decides to not live under it. However, she, she, however, cannot be protected if protection is not provided. So that's where I, I, when I hear of husbands that are saying, my wife is not submitting, and they blame her for not submitting to their, what they want. All too often, she's not able to submit because submitting would mean she gets hurt, she gets run over, she has no voice, and, and her Christian walk is manipulated and she has to basically serve God through whatever her husband thinks she should or shouldn't do. And you can't, you know, bl blossom in, in that environment. You end up getting uh, hurt and, and, and bad things happen. Again, uh, so the question I think that a husband needs to ask, rather than accusing his wife of not submitting, he needs to ask himself, why can why why can she not submit? She's not submitting. Why why is she not able to? Uh, and that helps you to self evaluate because usually she would like to, but she doesn't feel she can. So perhaps you need a big open discussion with your wife, uh, but you for sure need a big open discussion with your God. Hebrews ten. Well, let's let's read this here. Uh, something that I wrote down. Husband, you can hold fast the profession of your faith without wavering because your head is faithful as he promised. That's one reason that you can still provide protection to your wife no matter what because your head is always faithful. So we as husbands, we are not Christ. We strive to be like him in these examples, but we are not like him. And so there are times when the husband is not providing the proper protection for his wife. And again, his wife cannot be protected. In other words, she cannot submit in the area of, you know, in the context of being protected if there's not protection provided. Let us draw near. This is Hebrews 10, 22 and 24. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Beautiful section of verses there. So I think I've brought across clear enough what my heart is on this and what I feel the Bible teaches on uh, submission and headship in Scripture. There's a lot more that could be said, uh, but I, I want to share some remarks in closing, and I think that will be all for now. And some of the thoughts that I want to share, I'm going to be sharing some verses, and also some of the thoughts um, and quotes were given by a Jen Hatmaker from InTouch.org. Uh, so 
some of these are not original with me. Um, some of the quotes, I think, are also ones that I wrote down as well. So in Romans 12, verse 10, think of this um, in your married relationship. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. So this, if we preferred our spouses, would marriage leap back to life? Preferring one another is the first spiritual pavestone toward healing and mending, releasing and empowering, connecting and loving. It is the way of Jesus and the substance by which we are saved. If we preferred our spouses, would marriages leap back to life? When Jesus said, folks will know us by our love, he meant that people were drawn to his grace long before they understood his divinity. Think of this. When Jesus said, folks will know us by our love, he meant that people were drawn to his grace long before they understood his divinity. We learn more about God's divinity as we grow in our relationship with him, right? But isn't it really his grace that first draws us, his love? So think of this in a marriage relationship. For us husbands, our wives will be drawn to our grace long before they realize how important we are. I found that very humorous. And I'll read that again. For us husbands, our wives will be drawn to our grace long before they realize how important we are. <laughs> uh, I'll let you decide uh, exactly how important we really are. Okay, 1 Corinthians 10 23 and 24 are the words of Paul. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient or not all. They're not all helpful. All things are lawful to me, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. How about the wealth of your wife and your family? How about this? I'll prefer you and you prefer me and everyone wins. So I would like to even look at it uh, this way. The husband says, I'll prefer you. And the wife says, and I'll prefer you. That's how everyone wins. When both are on board in making that commitment. But again, husband, it's not in your place to command your wife to prefer you before her. It's in your place to prefer her before you. And then let her decide as to whether she will prefer you over her. It was your decision. Why can't it be hers? Okay, two wives. I hope I was able to, in a small way, help you understand your role in your marriage relationship and that this can help you better love and respect your husband. To the husbands, I hope this gives you a better perspective on your role in your marriage and perhaps give you tools that you can use to gain a better perspective and to truly be a builder in God's kingdom by being the husband, father, and protector that God has called you to be. That's all I have for today. May God bless you as you think about this and as you strive to truly operate properly within the role that God has given you.